are live again. And you know, if any anybody who's a regular viewer of the Beyond a Doubt, of the Benefit of a Doubt podcast knows, we display all of our warts. And I will just, I, I, I'm a little embarrassed to mention, but I'm, it's, it's also funny as hell that we just totally had a false start on this whole uh, podcast. We, we hit it hard and we hit the ground running and you know what? <laughs> Nobody could watch it. And it was great. So here we are. We, this is the benefit of the Dowd podcast. This is a brand new segment that we are debuting. When in doubt, ask the experts because I am clearly not an expert. No, our expert today is Michelle Rahman, who you may know him as, and the way I think of him is the, the, the super nerd who reaches down into the guts of Android and pulls them out and puts them all on display so that idiots and I, like me, can understand what's going on on so having all having said all that let's greet our expert michelle Rahman. welcome to the show thanks for having me adam and again yeah, i'm gonna again <laughs> yes yes uh i did mention you guys didn't hear this i just commented on how intense and bombastic the opening is and yep. uh yeah you're you're thinking you're the, you in the middle of thanking cliff for uh <laughs> yes yeah. i was so during that false start we also played the uh the 24-esque uh, countdown that normally precedes a live show. And like, so here's, here's, here's the real tragedy here. Um, we have never run this show on time before at all. <laughs> but I mean, like we even started that countdown 30 seconds before we were supposed to go live. I mean, it was to the tick and I'm just a moron. And that's where we are. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that's the, uh, that's the benefit of a doubt podcast. You know, you, you come for the tech and stay for the idiocy. Um, but anyway, so we are here to talk about um, just a little preview for those of you who are tuning in. We are here to talk about Android 14, uh, specifically what happened at Google I.O. We're going to get a little bit into the generative, generative AI stuff that Google... I think Google made like a passing reference to it during Google I.O. It was uh, roughly about 75 minutes or so of the uh, two-hour... Uh, presentation. You, you barely saw it, I mean, is what I'm saying. But anyway, so we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about Android 14, and there is a better than average chance that my dogs are going to go ape bat crap crazy during the show because I'm going to have a really cool device delivered that I'm going to be reviewing over on Slash Gear. And if that happens... In an apology to my dogs going absolutely nuts, we are going to do a live on-the-air unboxing of that device. So stick around, folks. This show is going to get crazy. It already has been crazy. So, um, Michelle, let's let's go ahead and dive in to Google I.O. specifically. Um, and my my whole thought here, my whole thought process is what was, you know, if we're going to talk about Google I.O., who better to have on? than you because you are the android expert like you are the guy you know you you're the one that you know every time a beta drops you're you're in there and you're pulling out everything and you're like hey here's what's coming here and here's some code that shows that this is going to be doing a thing that's with and like i don't understand any of that because i'm i'm you know i'm a professional idiot so why don't we talk a little bit about android 14 as it was announced at google io and because there wasn't a heck of a lot of it there. So why don't we just kind of do like a whole, you know, thousand yard uh, high level view of the whole thing that as you saw it at Google I.O. Well, what they showed off at Google I.O. is actually kind of 
more pixel specific than Android 14 specific for one. And two, um, a lot of these features are kind of also being baked into the quarterly platform releases that we're seeing for the Pixel phones, the Android 13, QPR 1, QPR 2, QPR 3. So a lot of these features aren't technically new to Android 14, but for most users who will be updating their devices, we'll be seeing them for the first time when or if they update to Android 14. But uh, so to name some of the features they announced, so lock screen shortcut customization. So instead of just having the home control icon on the bottom left and the wallet icon on the bottom left, you could say have a flashlight or the QR code reader or the um, whatever else they showed. Uh, I don't have the exact list, but um, that's one thing they showed off. Another thing they showed off is the lock screen clock customization. So you can customize the style and the color of the clock that's shown on the lock screen. And then they also showed off a bunch of uh, you know, AI powered features for their wallpapers. So you can have a cinematic wallpaper that, you know, um, applies a parallax effect to wallpapers, any that you, any photo that you've taken. So you have like a kind of a 3d effect. Then they also have a fully generative AI wallpaper maker that, um, it's not, I'm pretty sure it's not run on the device, but, uh, you send a prompt and then it generates a wallpaper, a selection of wallpapers for you to pick from that, uh, Google says would be completely unique because it's completely generated from scratch. And then they also showed off the emoji wallpaper, which is lets you like create a mishmash of emojis to set as your wallpaper. So a lot of personalization, customization stuff that is on the backbone of AI. I mean, the lock screen clocks and the the lock screen shortcuts aren't really AI related, but they're in the same vein as personalization, customization, which is you know what the focus was on during this IO keynote. But you know, like so the lock screens. In particular, I mean, that's that's obvious. It seemed to me, anyway, that was a pretty obvious um, meet. Uh, now that's probably not a great reference, but an obvious um, counter to Apple's lock screens that came out at at WWDC last year. Um, so, I mean, that you know, that to me seemed like a pretty obvious, like, oh, well, I guess we need to do this now. Like, Android's always had like cool lock screens and. You know, specifically Motorola has the uh, the uh, the uh, I, I forget the name for it, the dynamic lock screens where you can like tap on the icon and slide and do replies and stuff like that. That's always that's always been fun. But like, I got to admit, you know, after playing with the lock screens on the iPhone, those are kind of fun and they're a little addictive to like, you know, what do I want my lock screen to you look like today? And uh, like, you can really get, you can really get lost in a lock screen if you let yourself. Um, yeah. so, um, I, you know, I thought that was a pretty good, I thought that was a pretty good counter. The, the emoji one, eh, you know, I guess take it or leave it. I'm probably going to be more of a photo and, and and the parallax effect that you were talking about, I don't know. I, I assume you probably use Google Photos, and I assume probably most yes. of my listeners use Google Photos. But every once in a while, Google Photos, uh, the assistant in Google Photos will say, hey, we made this uh, 3D picture of you. And you, like, look, and it's, like, my daughter and, like, slowly zooming in on her. I'm like, that's kind of cool, but also a little freaky because <laughs> <laughs> Cause I didn't, I didn't do that. <laughs> like, um, but so yeah, doing something like that on a lock screen could be, I think pretty compelling. And, and it was as, as shown on, on, on stage. So, yeah. I, I yeah. think, you know, a lot of the, what they showed off on stage for Android 14, clearly it's just scratching the surface of what is actually in the release. And mm -hmm. clearly it's just the things that would appeal the most to users. Cause you got to understand like this keynote was 
jam-packed with AI references, and that's all because, you know, of investors and the pressure they're feeling right. from ChatGPT. The whole world was looking at Google, like, how are you going to respond to Microsoft, to OpenAI, to, you know, everything else is going on, right? So that's yeah. why you had 75 minutes of AI, 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 and then, like, five minutes of, oh, here are some AI features in Android. And whereas yeah, there was, was not a single like... mention of Android 14 beta, too, because that's not strictly AI related. Right. It was kind of like uh, that movie Click with Adam Sandler, where they like hit the fast forward button during the Android <laughs> section. Because, uh, <laughs> I... but you know, like I commented in in our internal um, Slash Gear Slack, I commented that this year's Google I/O seemed a lot more developery than previous Google IOs cuz like previous Google yeah. IOs they were talking about you know, cuz and and they did device announcements and we could definitely talk about the devices as well because there's a lot going on there too um but like in in the past I would say probably like 3 years give or take Google IO has been very like you know here's what's coming to Android and here's all the ways that your phone is going to be so much better and blah 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 and this year they they just really focused a lot on like developer stuff to the mm -hmm. point where, like, my eyes were kind of glazed over. I mean, like, I'm sure you were, like, edge of your seat with the popcorn. Uh, but it's just, I've just never been that kind of a nerd. And so, um, you know, but it was, it was, it's good because, you know, Google I.O. is, spoiler alert, a developer's conference. So I thought it was kind of a good, um, a good throwback. Maybe not, you know, the sexiest throwback that Google could have done. But I thought it was good to, like, get back to the core of what Google I.O. was supposed to be. Well, I think it was very calculated because, as I mentioned before, like this is clearly trying to get, you know, how are they going to respond to ChatGPT, to OpenAI, et cetera. And right. the people who are the early adopters of ChatGPT of all these, they're all product managers. They're all developers. Like mm -hmm. people who are going online and talking about ChatGPT nonstop, um, a lot of them are developers who are using it to write code. So they want yeah. developers to be going to say, instead of using ChatGPT, why not use Bard for all of this? Instead of integrating ChatGPT into your product using their API, why not use the new Palm API? So like right. that's they're they're targeting developers, product managers, uh, product leads, etc. Like they want early adoption on Bard, and so that's why I think you see all these developer-focused announcements. Yeah, which of course, well, as mean, you mentioned, which... it is a developer. It is a developer keynote. You know, it's that's what it's supposed to be. But I think that's right. why you see it saw such a huge shift a, a more a more skewed direction towards developers announcement yeah and 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 good for them so um i'll tell you what before we before we wander away from android 14 let's kind of stick because i mean that's kind of like the core of what we're supposed to be talking about here um i know you've been playing with the betas since they came out in it was like february ish right that they that they yeah. first uh dropped the betas so um what uh what's new in android 14 like what are some of the highlights that you've noticed in these the I think they're on beta 2 now so like what what are some of the highlights that you've noticed in the betas thus far that you think will be the most exciting so I think the the biggest feature is the ability to grant apps partial access to your gallery so okay. whenever apps try to request access to all of your photos and videos through a certain API um, yeah. in the permission selection dialog you're able to say select photos and videos. So you can pick which photos and videos an app like Facebook or Twitter can access instead of giving mm -hmm. them access to the entirety of your gallery. And I know that's something that iOS already has. I've been yeah. told this like a million times, but yes, um, Android is adding a similar feature. 
And you know, not a lot of people know this, but WebOS back in the day. No, I'm just kidding. But WebOS never did that. <laughs> but a lot of a lot of people will say, you know, back in WebOS was one of the first. Yeah, we know, we get it. Uh, but yeah, so this is actually probably one area where iOS did actually kind of beat Android to the punch, and you know, good for them. But as I said in a 2013 editorial uh, entitled "Everyone Copies Everyone." Go, go ahead and Google that over at Pocket Now. Um, and I reference it like every year at Google I.O. and at WWDC. This may not be the first, you know, Android may not be the first company to do it, but it's a new feature for Android users. So we can be happy about that. So anyway, um, so yeah, that's that is a uh, that's that's going to be an important one. Um, anything else like really coming down the uh Coming down the pipe, there's a CNET article that I want to talk about in, or Verge article, one of the two, that I want to talk about in a little bit about um, the lack of huge Android news. But anyway, um, any other uh, any other sexy bits of the uh, Android 14 that you've uh, noticed thus far? There's a whole bunch of smaller changes and, you know, some bigger changes here and there. Um, another okay. one is like, you know, last year, Google started to require that developers show the... Um, data safety information there's like a whole section on each app listing page showing like the data safety information that developers have been declaring well okay. starting in android 14 android will pull the location information from that section and will display it in like a permission dialogue so for example when you're going to grant an app like Waze the location permission you'll see a little um little box at the top that says this app is sharing has declared that it shares information with third parties and then you can tap it and then it'll show you what ways is declared in okay. the play store for the data safety section and whenever an app changes um the information that it declares it's sharing then you'll get a notification once every month that tells you about this within android so okay this kind of information that apps are disclosing they're self-reporting through google play it's not it won't be relegated to only google play anymore it'll be shown within more and more services of android gotcha you hear that gas buddy we're on to you now so I have a I have a very long standing one sided feud with Gas Buddy, uh, but because of their data sharing um, data sharing stuff. So yeah, that's so that's gonna come up monthly. So like I'm gonna I'm gonna pop open Gas Buddy in the beginning of March and it's gonna say, hey, by the way, if you share your location, it's going out to third parties. And then come April first, it's gonna pop up again and say, by the way, they're still sharing stuff with third parties. But this is all self declared. Does Google have any way of like? figuring this out on its own like if gas buddy just said nah we're we're good man we're not sharing anything with anybody um can google be like okay bs we know you're we know you're doing this so like it, this is all self-reported though so we're kind of relying on the honor system here yeah so there's i mean it, it it's it's not as bad as it sounds so yes it's true that google <laughs> has no way of auditing you know what every developer is saying they're doing and whether or not it's truthful or not but because they're putting developers on the record with saying they do X or Y, if it's later mm -hmm. find out they are lying about that or they left something out by omission, you know, Google could cite that in its policy. They could say, you know, you left this out intentionally or you failed to disclose this. You know, we could put that as a strike against your account or even ban you. And so that's I think that, why we're that burning is, you to the ground. I gotcha. Yeah, I think that is an upside. So even if it is self-reported, even though they can't enforce it, I do think it is a good positive change. Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Cool. Um, anything, anything, I, I don't want to move on too quickly. You know, if there's anything else that you're, uh, that you're kind of geeked about, um, but is there <laughs> anything else uh, that uh, jumps to mind when it comes to Android 14 that we should be looking forward to? Uh, I think some of the big 
security focused one is the ability or the restriction on um, the kind of applications you can install. So if you try to sideload or install an application that was built for Android versions prior to Marshmallow, which is 6.0, then Android okay. won't let you install it anymore. And so the reason... That's probably okay. <laughs> yeah, the reason with the restriction is that Android 6.0 introduced the, the runtime permission. So you know how when you're granting an app, the ability to use a camera, you have to say yes or no with this dialogue. Mm. Uh, before 6.0, any permissions that an app wanted, they were granted automatically when you installed them. So okay. a lot of malware and malicious applications take advantage of that fact. So they, they intentionally target older versions of Android so that they can be granted whatever permissions they want the moment you install them instead of asking no the user for those permissions. Huh, that's still a thing, huh? All right. Well, yeah. okay, yeah, I mean, that's definitely an important one. All right, Next. Uh, what's next on your checklist there? So two other um, kind of ones that I think are worth noting is the um, yeah. ability to scale the, uh, the nonlinear font scaling up to 200%. So... Like if you have anyone who are, you know, if you know anyone who's elderly or who's older and, you know, the eyesight's just deteriorating and they use their phone at like higher font size percentages, you know, like I know several people who do that, right? When you blow the, when you blow the font scaling up a lot, a lot of apps just, the font size, the font just gets ridiculously large, right? Okay. Like some font gets massive, but other font that's already smaller gets bigger but the kind of like disparity between the big font getting absolutely ridiculously huge and the smaller font, smaller text just getting a little bit bigger is a little ridiculous. Like it kind of makes right. certain apps unusable. So what the nonlinear scaling is doing is it's saying, okay, this bigger text will get bigger, but not ridiculously big. It's not going to be a linear um, scaling. It'll like so kind of cap it basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If something's going to be like, like, uh, let's just say like 72 pixels tall or something like that. Then And then you get another uh, font, which is similar, but for whatever reason, at 200%, it's like 90 pixels tall or whatever. Then it'll like yeah. kind of balance it out or even it out or something. Yeah, it'll make things okay. more even, which I think, I you know, you. it's not going to affect most users here, you know, who don't really <laughs> change the font scaling or the display size. But I know there are a lot of people, I mean, Android has billions of users. So there's, there's a lot of people who this will help. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. All right. And what's your last item there? Um, another noteworthy change is the regional preferences screen. So okay. um, if you're, say, you know, a Brit who's living in the U.S., right, the temperature units that you're used to might be Celsius instead of Fahrenheit, right? So if you want to tell apps that, hey, I want you to display temperature units in Celsius instead of Fahrenheit, before you'd have to hope that the app that you're using had some preferences screen that let you change that. Mm, well, with okay. the regional preferences feature in Android 14, you can tell apps on a system-wide basis that these are my preferred temperature units, these are my preferred uh, first day of the week, uh, etc. And then okay. apps can read this information and apply it within themselves. So it's, cool. a, it's something like requires apps to support it, but um, this will definitely help a lot of users who you know may not be you know, in tune with the majority preferences of their of the country they're currently residing in. Because sure. uh, a lot of apps sure. just kind of assume, say, hey, your location is detected as the United States. We're going to assume that Sunday is the first day of the week for you. We're going to assume that Fahrenheit is your preferred. We're going to assume so-and-so. But that might not apply right. to everyone. So let me throw you a curveball here. If you had to pick, if, if you were king for a day, would we be on the English system or the metric system? Metric. Yeah, you'd go metric? All right. Yeah, yeah. I'm with you. I'm with you on that. 
So I think, yeah, it, it just makes sense, you know. And a lot of people say, well, you know, U.S. has both, but whatever. So, but yeah, that's, uh, so if, if we had our way, then it wouldn't matter where you were. You would just be on metric because metric is the bestest. But, okay, cool. <laughs> so um, let's go ahead and transition away from um, Google, uh, not from uh, Android 14, excuse me. Um, and I want to transition over into the, um, into the BARD announcements and the generative AI stuff. Um, and the, um, our, our, our watcher is giving us a, a IAR1980 is giving us a wonderful segue by asking the question, is BARD the long-term replacement of Google Assistant? And... I'm a moron, so I'm going to turn that question over to you, sir. Where do you where do you think Guard, uh, Bard fits in in the Google Assistant ecosystem? So I think the Assistant ecosystem will evolve with you okay. know much more improved voice replies and queries and whatnot with, that are using generative AI, large language models, etc. But I'm not certain if the Google Assistant brand will stick around. Because it seems odd to me already that Google has been talking bard, 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 and then all these other things, but not nary a mention of Assistant itself. It kind of feels right. like maybe Assistant is like a tainted brand. Kind of people associate it with being slow and clunky and not working very well. And this is just my my my, my own two cents on this matter. Um, so I do think that we'll eventually see an evolution of Assistant, you know, that are using generative AI for much improved everything. But I don't know if it'll be called Google Assistant. I don't know if it'll be merged into the brand that we currently know of as Google Assistant. Interesting. Interesting. So you think Google Assistant, as it exists right now, if I understand you correctly, is going to get a whole lot more Bardy, but we're not sure if we're still going to call it Google Assistant after that happens. Would you say that's kind of... Yeah. Sums it up a little bit? Yeah, okay. And I think there's just such a... There's such an opportunity here um, for for you know google to make assistant so much better and i don't know about you i we are a google household here so we have you know google homes and google screens and everything all over the place so we use google assistant fairly regularly you know to do all of our lights and stuff like that but i have found google to be getting kind of dumber <laughs> over the last like 6 months or so i i can't really point at any one specific thing i've mentioned on this podcast before that in the past when we've said like you know okay gee what time does target open it'll show us like corporate information about target but not actually yeah. like, tell us what the hours are like and that was kind of a weird thing that it still does every now and then but it's it's a little bit less uh stupid these days but just like in general just like asking like and asking questions like the weather, you know, that it's got that, you know, th thankfully all the smart speaker developers have been really interested in how the weather is. So like we've we've got that one down. That's that's nailed. Um but it just seems like a lot of the other things you ask Google to do, it's just kind of it's 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 been like I said, I can't point at a specific example, but it just seems like it's been getting a little less functional. Right. I mean, I actually had this thought like this morning because I was just like recapping various things that were announced at Google at Google I.O. in my mind. And I'm like, what was the name of that one? I was like, I was literally just like Googling. What is the name of that project thing where you are doing video meetings and it looks like the person is 3D right in front of you 
you know, I remember, I've actually looked it up. It's Project Starline, and I'm sure okay. we'll talk about that later. But like, you know, if I were to ask, I didn't even bother asking Google Assistant that because I just know it would have no way of like actually yeah. parsing that and figuring out what the heck I'm talking about. But I'm sure if I asked Bard or ChatGPT that, it would it would be able to come up with an answer or something that's it usable. Probably would. So having that integrated into Google Assistant, like on smart displays, it would probably be entirely internet based. Um, but I think that would tremendously improve the usability of these devices. It's like general purpose, you know, um, ask it anything and get an answer. Yeah, yeah, very much. Now, and, and one thing, now Google did kind of follow Microsoft and OpenAI in the whole here's a generative language learning model, go ahead and ask it whatever you want and, you know, get your answers. But I think one smart thing, and, and Microsoft did this to an extent as well, but I don't use Microsoft products, so I wasn't really paying attention all that closely. But I think like one of the smart things, and I, I want to call out um, um, Casey Newton, who who does his uh, platformer newsletter that I'm uh, I'm not a paid subscriber. I'm more of a I'm a, I'm a free person uh, subscriber just because he does a lot of like social media and I not really in my wheelhouse. But anyway, um, one of his uh, one of his free newsletters, he pointed out that Google spent a lot of time talking about Bard and about um, language learning models, but by integrating it into so many of its products gmail sheets um you know docs and like all of these products that people already use it seems like a much smarter approach to kind of like let the ai kind of fade into the background and it have it be just a part of these products that people are already using and again like microsoft did this too with you know generating it was like generating you know, documents and uh, spreadsheets. And um, I want to say it was even generating like PowerPoints, wasn't it? <laughs> like yeah. didn't, didn't Microsoft have it, have it doing all that stuff too. And like, that would have been super relevant to me if I use Microsoft products, which I don't, I'm more of a Google product, but still it seemed like a really smart approach to me. I mean, I think it's the only approach, like it's the only approach that <laughs> okay. makes sense. Like pushing chat GPT as a brand forward uh, doesn't really make much sense it being integrated into every app and product you already use makes a whole lot more sense. And I think that's where actually why, you know, there's a lot of doom saying about Google, are they even relevant anymore with ChatGPT? You know, are they gonna be destroyed by ChatGPT? I think there was a lot of doom saying about that, you know, in the early days, but I think Google still has a massive advantage because it has Android where it can push all of its apps and services directly through its, you know, Google mobile services, bundling uh, deals with OEMs and whatnot. And then it also still has, you know, Mindshare with users with Chrome, with, um, you know, Google Docs, with Gmail, with Maps, mm -hmm. with YouTube. It has all these places where it can push its generative AI-backed services to users directly. And like already billions of users use these services globally. Right. And like you see, Microsoft, sure, they have, they were, they had a head start. Sure, they, they push out all these services, their generative AI-based services first. And sure, a lot of users use uh, Microsoft Office or 365 or whatever they're branding it nowadays. Um, right. But like when it comes to the big platforms, like the OS, sure, Microsoft has Windows, right? But how many users use the default on Windows versus Chrome? Which is surprisingly more, you know, more people use Chrome than the default Edge. And Microsoft oh, yeah. is desperately, yeah. sorry, I think you froze for a second. Microsoft oh. is desperately 
trying to get people to switch to Edge. Like, I'm getting an ad pretty much, like, every other day saying, hey, have you tried out the new Bing? Like, there's even, like, the weather app on the taskbar in Windows. Like, why is there a little notification icon? I click on it. It says, hey, have you tried out the new Bing? And I'm like, what the heck, Microsoft? <laughs> why are you advertising to me on the weather widget? Yeah. Please so, yeah, like, use Bing. <laughs> please use Bing. Like, <laughs> like we, brought, they're, they're... we brought ChatGPT to Bing, so you would use Bing. Please use Bing. <laughs> yeah. Definitely the future of, you know, generative AI use is going to be through products and services that we already use. It's not going to be going to chat.openai.com or bard.google.com. That's just the early access phase. It's going to be like Google showed off at, at I.O. You know, there's going to be a, uh, I forgot what they call it, like a chat section of Google search or converse. Right. They call it converse. Like that's, that's right. going to yeah, be yeah. how we're going to be interacting with it. We're going to be interacting it through the websites. We're going to be interacting it through the apps that we use. And I think that's where Google still has a head start over Microsoft. Yeah, and and we have another uh, same commenter who who says Google has already been using some sort of AI in you know a Gmail messages with predictive text, etc. Not only that, but like just you know when you think uh, when you think about. I don't think a lot of people realize that AI has been a very large part of the the especially the Google product catalog, but a lot of other product catalogs as well. You know, in terms of like you know the the chatbots that companies uh, make you suffer through before they'll actually let you talk to a representative. That's all AI. Um, the Google Photos when you're searching for pictures of your wife from you know nineteen. No, I guess I wouldn't start with a 19, but 2003, um, you know, like the, you know, that's all AI stuff. You know, that's all, you know, I just and, you know, I like to continuously point out that Stargate was using AI way before it was cool because, yeah. you know, we, we had a previous uh, um, guest on this podcast talking about the Stargate AI program. I don't know if you're a fan of the show. No, offense. I, I won't take offense if you're not, because, you know. It's it's not it's not the sexy one. But anyway, um, I just uh, you know, AI has been out there for a, a for a very long time. And I think we're all just starting to kind of like realize that I think the main difference between what it was doing before and what it was doing now was what it was doing before was kind of controlled by from a corporate standpoint whereas now they're putting ai in the hands of the masses per se um and yeah. so now we're starting to get a good idea as to like what the actual capabilities are uh, i mean i think before chat gpt like you mentioned ai was much more built in to the background of products and services that we use but since chat gpt blew up in like november december you know Everyone is much more aware of AI and asking questions. They want to see it, especially like investors, right? They want to see AI front and center. So now you're getting all these buttons that are like clearly labeled as AI. And like on the front page, Google says generative AI, right? Like is that, that's not something Google would have put on any of its products, like, you know, as like a text, flavor text before. Last Chat year. Blew yeah. up, right? It's <laughs> not the kind of thing, it's not the kind of thing you would think of showing the user, right? Like. What kind of user would have known what the heck you're talking about when you say generative AI before? But now mm -hmm. it's all everyone thinks about. Like, it's all they kind of expect to see. You want AI in your products. And if you're not pushing it front and center, they're going to think it's not there. Like, it's, it's already, like, like, like the commenter mentioned, it's already been there. You, it's already been there in Gmail and Maps, et cetera. But if you're not yeah. putting it front and center, users are going to think it's not there. Well, and, like, 
wasn't it last year at Google I.O. that uh, Google brought out, um, I think it was, was it Lambda based where you could like talk to a planet and ask questions about like how the planet was. And like, I, I remember like to, to a person, like everyone was just like, okay, so <laughs> and yeah. like, now it's just like, they could wheel out that same demonstration. And we'd be like, Oh my God, I can talk to a planet. That's amazing. And it's just, it's, it's such a, uh, a, kind of a funny cultural shift that we're kind of mm -hmm. going through um I, go ahead yeah on that front i think it's just because google before chat gpt blew up was just very conservative about how they approached ai so like you mentioned like why did they use an example of you talking to a planet like who the heck would want to do that that's not gonna that's another potential to go viral but nowadays right. you have people who are using chat gpt and like mimicking the personality of steve jobs and obviously mm -hmm. there are a lot of like ethical concerns about you know pretending making a chatbot pretend it's a dead person i don't right? see any well i'm, I, just, I, I'm just saying I, I, <laughs> <laughs> i'm kidding but but you see what i like, mean right you were just like you look i at was like it's like holy shit is he serious like, <laughs> <laughs> but you see what i mean right like before chat gpt google was just publishing research papers they were showing these demonstrations off like they were very mild and conservative in their approach but now like you know all you know, all, all everything's they're unchained. All hell Google has been loose, I think is what Google has been for. unchained. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's just like, well, screw it. I guess we now we gotta go. You know, hogs, yeah. uh, hog crazy. But um, I mean, to be fair, they're not like they did bring up several seven pillars of AI research. They did say there are several things they're doing to ensure that AI is used safely and you know responsibly. Like they're with their metadata and the the um, the watermarking they're doing. The, the showing on Google search, you know, when an image was generated, et cetera. Like there's a lot of things they're, they're saying they're doing, like whether or not this will actually help reduce disinformation, et cetera, remains to be seen. But right. they're not just actually letting their AI researchers run wild. Right, right, which is which is important. Now, it's it seems to me, you know, of all the things that they mentioned, generative AI um, could help you in all of the Google products. Like, it seems to me, and maybe I just missed this, but you know, it seems it seems to me the one missed opportunity that Google had there was the very thing that I've been using ChatGPT for for the past four months or so is YouTube descriptions. Like, why is Google not rolling out? And, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to answer this question, um, you know, and, and determine how Google feels about this. But, like, why why isn't there not a button when you're done recording a video where you can push the button and have it scan a transcript of everything that just happened in the video and then spit out, like, you know, six paragraphs about, like, here's here's what the YouTube description is, you know, complete with hashtags and everything. Like, why why, why did Google miss that bus? That's just, oh, it's it seems like such low-hanging fruit. It's... I, um, I, I know Google, or at least YouTube, seems to do its own set of things separately. Like, they're pretty independent. Yeah. So I suspect we'll get, like, a separate announcement from YouTube about all the and things. And it'll probably be using ChatGPT. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, not I that separate. I... Not that separate. <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, so, I mean, like, I... I, I don't know. You probably I, I don't I don't know if you know, but I have been using ChatGPT to write YouTube descriptions since I got access to it, which was like somewhere in like beginning of February. And you know what? It's 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 honestly made my job as a YouTuber 
a lot easier because I could just like pop in, like write a YouTube description for talking about this and this and this and this, and it'll just, you know, and, and, and it's yeah. great. I love it. Love it. It's a rocking good time. So now one of the things, I think one of the most highly anticipated announcements that they talked about at Google I.O. was in the hardware department. And I'm going to make this one dealer's choice, Michelle. Which one do you want to talk about first? We have the Pixel 7a, we have the Pixel Fold, and we have the uh, Pixel... Called the Pixel Tablet, right? I don't know. I yeah. kind of... I was yeah. I was too busy uh, oogling over the Pixel Fold when they when they brought that well, one out. So like, w- it's which clear one do you want which to talk one about first. It's clear which one you want to talk about first. So let's go with the Pixel Fold. Okay, yeah, let's let's do it. So eighteen hundred dollars, which is the was that the same price tag that the original yeah. Samsung Fold came out well, with? Because I saw I don't know somewhere the original. that said like the yeah, Z Fold I, Four MSRP. I mean started at $1,800 also. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I definitely knew the the latest one did. I, I thought the earlier ones were actually like closer to $2,000 range. But anyway, it's it was four years ago. Who cares? So, uh, but no. So the Pixel Fold, uh, you know, has a retail price of $1,800. It has large bezels, which we are only allowed to mention once on this podcast, or the ghost of Michael Fisher will appear and, and slay us both. <laughs> Um, but it does have uh, the larger bezels on the top and bottom. And I think I think it was in a Michael Fisher thread that I saw, or maybe it was actually his video on the fold. He he mentioned that the bezels kind of are kind of similar to the 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 uh, Surface Duo. Um, kind of had that same kind of vibe to them. You know, the... well, I mean, the reason like a lot of some some YouTubers who asked Google about the bezels said that Google the reason they were able to get the pixel fold so thin is because they put some of the hinge mechanism into the bezels into the area yeah. where the bezels are. So that was the reasoning that was given. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I just, from a, from a consumer design um, standpoint, it, it had that kind of same vibe as like the Google, as the uh, service duo. But, um, do you think that this is something that like, on a scale of one to ten, how ne- how needed how much did we need a Pixel Fold at this point? In your opinion, I definitely think it's very very important. I, I don't know okay. how I'd rate it. Actually, I'd probably put it like a ten because okay. we definitely need because so far outside of the U.S., like how many non Samsung foldables can you count on your on your hand? Like probably like outside nothing. of the U.S. Outside Quite of the U.S. <laughs> well. <laughs> Sorry, sorry. Inside I mean, the U.S. Uh, inside, inside the U.S., US yes. there are now two. <laughs> there are now two. Yeah. yeah. I meant outside of China. Right. No, I, I get that. Yeah. I, right, I, right. I think I followed where you were going there, but I took you too literally. But I messed up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, that's okay. Um, but, yeah, you're right. Uh, Samsung was in desperate need of competition. But then the question is, will the Pixel Fold be competition? Like, I'm not – I'm not – I don't think – you know, Google will compete in terms of volume, but right. I do think the importance lies in how much they're investing into the foldable experience, into the foldable software experience, because all the things they're doing to improve the general um, look and feel applications on foldable devices, how apps react to the different uh, hinge angles, how the camera orientation is affected by, you know, applications assuming the position of the camera, like all these idiosyncrasies, all these little intricacies that 
you know, of another OEM, the way they would solve it would just be, you know, asking the app developer to fix it to make to make a device specific fix for their device, right. or maybe implementing some kind of hack that's proprietary to their version of Android. Whereas right. when Google is doing it, they're not going to be saying, okay, here's a pixel fold only specific fix that we'll do. They're going to say, okay, here's a new API. Here are some new guidelines. Here are some things that OEMs can configure to broadly fix things. And so a lot of these things they're doing will greatly benefit, you know, foldables in general. Right. Okay. Yeah. And uh, you, you, you definitely have a good point there. Now, I think this is actually a really kind of exciting year in terms of like foldables in the U.S. Because, uh, you know, in addition to the Pixel Fold, uh, OnePlus has already announced that they're going to bring a, a foldable to the U.S. market as well. So that's uh, that's exciting as well. Out of curiosity, did you have a chance to go hands-on with the Pixel Fold? I did, yeah. Okay. What are, give us uh, your, uh, your um, hands-on impressions here, if you can. I guess, I mean, I, I don't have that much experience with the, the book-style foldable. Okay. <clears throat> but I wasn't, like, I think I was fine with the bezels. Um, okay. I liked how even, evenly distributed the weight was. So, like, it was very nice to hold the Pixel Fold in the hand, like, both okay. folded and unfolded. You know, you would think, like, it's actually supposed to be pretty heavy. I think it's heavier than the, the Z Fold 4. Um, but its thinness it really stands out. Like it's definitely very comfortable to hold. Uh, nice. I didn't like how tactile the crease is. Like, I don't know if that's a problem on other foldables, but like you can definitely see the crease and like touching. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't really like that experience. Like it's a thing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. Yeah. All right. So what about the, uh, the software experience? Like going from, you know, the smaller, the smaller screen opening up into the bigger screen. How did you feel that was, uh, that was handled? Are we, are we liking that? Well, I didn't have the chance to like use a lot of the apps that I used on a daily basis. Cause, like, sure, you know, there were sure. just demo units at the I/O backstage. Like, I didn't have the chance to install Reddit, Telegram, Twitter, etc. But and those uh, demo units were preloaded with all the apps that are perfectly optimized to do exactly that. So, yeah, <laughs> hashtag yay demo units. Anyway, I mean, I did. But... They did have Google Play Store installed, and I was able to install like just out of curiosity. I would have. I would. I installed Venmo because it's Venmo is one of those apps where it's it tries to lock itself to portrait mode. So if you okay. have the Oppo Find N2, I talked about this on Twitter actually. Like if you have an Oppo Find N2 or the OnePlus tablet, for example, and you try to install the Venmo app, it'll lock itself the tablet, so forcing you to flip the device to use it. Yeah. So how the Pixel Fold handles that is it uses something that I mentioned, like Google. They don't use device specific hacks. They use something that <laughs> is available to all OEMs or app developers. So what right. they're using is one of those things that I mentioned. They have a, a feature that overrides the orientation request of an app. So even though Venmo says it wants to run in portrait mode, um, the Pixel Fold will say, no, we're going to run you in landscape mode, but we're going to put you in a letterbox so that uh, the aspect ratio isn't messed up. Right. So that's kind of what it does. Like it puts it in a letterbox. It's displayed upright, and it has like a, like a gray bar on the side. And then you okay. can double tap to reposition the left or right. That's pretty cool. So, um, so when it when it asks for that portrait orientation, and this is something that's running on a system level, or is this something that has to be baked into an app? Or yeah, it's the app. It's it's Venmo. It's apps like Venmo themselves that are hard coding, saying we only want to run in portrait mode. Right. 
Right. And so then Google on the system level in, in Android is saying, uh, no, 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 this is displaying the proper orientation. We're just going to letterbox it so that yeah. we're not making people like flip around their phone. Oh, thank yeah. God. So you, are you saying that we might actually finally have an Instagram that runs properly on a, on a foldable phone? Because that would be amazing. So Instagram well, running, is notorious. Well, running properly would require Instagram to actually like fully optimize you know, like right. Google at I.O., they had like sessions on how to optimize your apps for for full screen, large screen devices. Then they had like three different tiers and like right. Instagram, you know, any app that's letterbox would be like tier one. I think tier one's the lowest. And then like tier mm -hmm. three would be like a fully optimized, independent version of the app that's available for large screens. Yeah. So like, like completely redesigned to do, you know, whatever, <laughs> right. whatever you want your app to do in a, you, taking yeah. advantage of that real estate. Okay. All right. Well, that that's cool. I, I'm I'm digging that. Um, let's let's transition over to the Pixel Seven A, which I think is. I, I read an article by was this the Verge that said uh, Google that Google I/O displayed uh, showed that Google has no idea how to sell hardware or something like this because uh, well, the main the main one of the main arguments is that the Pixel Seven A. It compares very favorably to the Pixel 7, which is only $100 more. And so it, it left a lot of people wondering, like, why would you buy a Pixel 7 when the Pixel 7a exists? You've got the 90 hertz screen. You've got wireless charging. Mm -hmm. You've got um, a, a smaller screen. But honestly, I... And I've said this on the show before, 6.1 is kind of my spirit animal. Uh, like the 6.1 inch screen, I just that just seems like the perfect size for me. Um, so I'm I would I would be lying if I said I wasn't tempted to trade in my Pixel 7 for a Pixel 7a, um, <laughs> even though that would be a terrible financial decision. Um, yeah. But anyway, um, so like, where do you where uh, did you get a chance to have you had a chance to play with the Pixel 7a? Do you have a Pixel 7a? I mean, it's out there now, right? So no, I don't have one. But I mean, I've had I've had this thought same thought in my mind ever since i heard about the 90 hertz and wireless charging you know factoids in the leaks many many months ago because this thing is leaked to oblivion before it was announced right and so i was wondering like where does this put the pixel 7 because all the pixel 7 has over the 7a is it has its more metal you know unibody and yep. it also has a higher ip rating so it's like more dust and water resistant i think and it's a slightly IP68, larger screen yeah. slightly larger screen so it really has very little going for it compared to the 7A. You know, it, it justifies getting it over right. the, the the A series phone. I'm really not sure. I don't like. I, I think we're gonna see what Google decides when the 8 series is announced. Like, is there gonna be an 8A? Is it gonna be even lower end, or is the the regular 8 gonna be higher end than it is in this generation? Like, I'm not really sure. Like, it's it's I, clear. I think the 7A is gonna canalize sales of the 7. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of curious as to like what they can do to the pixel eight. <laughs> Cause I mean, this time last year, we knew what was coming with the pixel seven because Google announced it at Google IO, um, which they, which Google did not do, um, this year, which is, um, interesting in and of itself, but it, it can, it does make you wonder what, what the future of that pixel eight a will be or the pixel eight. God, I hate phone names what the pixel 8 will be um okay and then there's one last piece of um hardware to talk about and that is the pixel tablet um which is 
I think Google might have outthought itself a little bit. Um, the same article that I was talking about with uh, with the Google hardware mentioned that you know Google wants to wants to sell the Pixel tablet. Now the Pixel tablet, remind me, does it come with the charging stand? I believe yeah. it does. Okay, it does. So, but the charging stand is just kind of like a dumb charging stand that just kind of sits on your counter and doesn't really have any utility unless you actually put the tablet on it right i believe i'm i believe i'm correct with that right so that same article pointed out like why not make that like a google the the new google mini or the google home mini or something so that there'd be some utility when you're not using it as a stand for your tablet um same question that I asked about the Pixel Fold. Do we need a Pixel tablet at, the, at this point in time? So, I mean, there's a question of need and question of want. So I think the Pixel tablet does serve like uh, a segment that was kind of underserved before. So okay. most people, like Google correctly, I think, um, outlined in their keynote that most people use their tablets at home. You know, they're not taking them everywhere with them to, to travel right. with them or whatnot. Like the 80% of the use is at home. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times the tablet is also being used as like a shared family device, right? Like you swap it, you give it to your kids or something, you use it yourself. So Google kind of optimized the Pixel tablet for those two use cases. So at home, okay. it's a it's a smart display when it's not being used and all the, anyone in your family can go up to it and tap the home button and control smart home devices they can see notifications on the screen. And then if you take it off, you can use it as your personal tablet by switching profiles. Right. That's, that's an important, um, that's an important distinction. And one that we haven't seen on a lot on, have we seen any tablets yet? I mean, I, there, so, ha there have been some Android tablets with profiles on them. Well, yeah, most tablets, I, I think most tablets do support multi-user um, experiences. Like the, Android has supported multi-user for a long time, but Google has been, sure improving the multi-user experience since Android uh, since Android 13. Yeah, I think in the early betas, they've been improving quietly on the, the, the UI and the experience of switching between profiles and what it can do. And uh, we've seen other tablets that double as smart displays. Like there have been some from Lenovo, for example, but none of them have really put this experience front and center. Like the, the smart, the docks for those little tablets are kind of like a secondary thought. Right. Like, they would enter uh, Google Assistant smart display mode. I forgot exactly what it was called. Um, I don't even know yeah. if Google supports that anymore. But now Lenovo Google has did like a, a lot of that for a while there. The Lenovo had a yeah. lot of tablets that you could dock into like a smart screen display. I actually yeah. have one of the docks right here. <laughs> so this is the dock that uh, went with the, what was it? The 10T, I think it was. So anyway, yeah, I don't I don't know why that was randomly sitting on my table. It just was, and I happened to no, remember no. that it was there. <laughs> the Pixel tablet clearly looks like it was meant for this, whereas right. it was not an afterthought. Like it literally looks like a ten inch Nest Hub Max when you dock it. Yeah, and I think like and and one of the things that I have said many times on this podcast before is one of the challenges that comes with making an Android tablet is figuring out what the tablet is going to do in its downtime. 
Um, and like, you know, one, one thing that OnePlus addressed with the OnePlus uh, pad that just came out was a month long standby time. So you can, yes, the tablet will be sitting on a shelf, but <laughs> at least when you pick it up off that shelf, it's going to be ready to go. Um, you know, and Lenovo, like I, like I mentioned, and a couple of other companies have tried to do that smart display thing where you like, when you're not using it, you set it into your, into your dock and it turns into a sort of a pseudo Google home, which wasn't very good. Uh, but anyway, uh, so like a, a lot of companies have tried to answer that question and I think turning it into a smart display is probably one of the easiest ways to go, but I also like the idea of having those docks spread out through your house as like Google homes so that you can set the tablet like on the dock next to your bedroom when you're going to bed. And then you can pick it up and move it to the kitchen when you're going to eat breakfast and stuff like that. So I just, I kind of, I don't, I'm not going to call that a miss, but I'm going to call it a, less than less than ideal situation i guess you you can get more of those docks they cost 129 dollars each right but uh, they don't do anything except act as a dock (laughs) like if they did something more i think maybe there's a there's a point to be made there but yeah anyway i'm hoping they unlock like i'm hoping maybe that functionality is maybe maybe there's a chip inside that supports it and just it wasn't ready for launch and maybe they unlock it with a firmware update um, because I'm like I'm pretty sure it probably they they probably can push firmware updates to it because you know you connect to it via the Poco pins on the back and I'm pretty sure it's like right. using a USB connection. So like the the dock is treated as like a USB audio dock I think when the pixel yeah. connects to it. Yeah. So hopefully they're able to push firmware updates to it and hopefully they're able to unlock cast functionality or maybe even Bluetooth functionality. I doubt Bluetooth, but I'm hoping at least cast. Right. Yeah. That would be. Uh, I I want to say. I think Google did say that they had cast capability in the tablet itself, right? Yeah, yeah. The cast, the dock, I mean, sorry, the tablet can act as a Google cast receiver, same way any Android TV can. Right, right. Okay, okay. I want to say that that was there. Okay, cool. Well, I think we have covered a lot of Google I.O., a lot of Android, and a lot of the hardware, and I think I've kept you about as long as I said I was going to keep you. So now the only thing we need to do is roll out the red carpet for you, and you can tell people where they can find you on the internets, and we can uh, wrap this up and put this baby to bed. Yeah, so if you want to follow me on Twitter, at Michelle Ramon, that same handle, you can find me on Reddit, on Mastodon, and on the Android dev server on discord telegram etc like i have the same my username is my name so search me up you'll find me on all these different platforms and you want to follow me if you want to learn more about android because i post all the time day in day out about android what's new what's coming um you know what's in the works whatnot Indeed. And you are an awesome follow and an awesome guest. I would like to thank you very much for coming on and talking to all of us about all the androids. Uh, But for now, 
that's going to do it for this episode of the podcast. Please consider subscribing to this podcast if you enjoyed it. And if you really enjoyed it, I would love it if you would write a review for the show. And if you're watching this on YouTube, click that subscribe button and smash that bell so you can be notified of new episodes and reviews and interviews as they drop. And if you want some early access, jump on to Patreon at patreon.com slash benefit of the doubt. I'd like to thank co-producer Cliff for all of his hard work behind the scenes. And I'd like to thank Michelle for coming on and talking to us, learning all us, learning all of us about Android. But most of all, and as always, I would like to thank you for listening and for giving us the benefit of the doubt.